Hey everyone, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is Carol Ann Flood, and I'm the worship director here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Our mission is simple, to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus your whole life, or your journey has just begun, we hope that this message will help you draw near to the person of Jesus, be challenged and encouraged by His Word, and be moved to action. We hope these next few moments are a blessing to you and equip you to see who God really is and who you are in Him. Well, welcome home, everybody. How you doing today? Good. How are you guys doing over there? Good. All right. That's good. From the, from the back. From the, no, I won't do that. I'm sorry. It's great to see you. Great to have you back with us again. Uh, if you're just joining us online, uh, welcome home. I just want to take a second before we jump in. I just want to say thank you to our worship arts team for uh, doing, uh, this was a lot of work to rearrange the room this way and uh, create this. Can we just say thank you to them for all the work and the effort they put into this? Yeah. Um, the whole heart behind this is just that uh, for this month that we would kind of, uh, this environment would kind of immerse us into the text, into the story that we're going to be studying over the next few weeks together. And so I'll introduce uh, the concept of what we're talking about today in this way. I'll tell you a little story. Um, a few weeks ago, my wife Carrie and I were headed home. It was late, later in the evening, and we needed to stop by Meyer for a few items right here on Plainfield. But we had the dog with us. And so here was the plan we came up with. I would pull up to the front of Meyer and I would let Carrie out and she would go inside and get the items and then I would kind of drive the van around and I would circle around and I would come back and I would pick her up at the front entrance of Meyer, you know, as she came out uh, of the store. And so I did that. I dropped her off and she goes inside and she gets the items and as she's coming out, I hadn't quite made the van trip all the way back around yet to the front of the entrance. And so as Carrie is walking out, uh, of the front entrance of Meyer, she's looking for me and she can't find me. A total stranger's van pulls up. This, this, by the way, is our van. This is what our van looks like, our Honda Odyssey. We've had this for like 10 years or something. This is the, the van that my wife drives every single day, every day for years and years. She's driven it. A total stranger pulls up in a completely different van, different make, different model. Everything's different about it. And she thought to herself, oh, that must be my husband. And so she walks around the corner as this van pulls up and she just pulls the door and opens it. What she said to me later, she said, the first thing I noticed was the smell. The smell was different than our van. And then she said, as I, as I was looking, I noticed the items on the dash, the items on the seat were, were completely different items than the ones that I was used to. And then I look over and there is this total stranger, this woman sitting next to me, you know, in the driver's seat, kind of like, <laughs> you know, like, what's about to happen? <laughs> now, about the time this happens, I am pulling our van up to the front of entrance of Meyer, and I see my wife jumping out of a total stranger's van. <laughs> And after 24 years of marriage, I had some questions. <laughs> but before I could even ask my question, she jumps in the van and she turns it on me. And she says, where were you? How could you let that happen to me? <laughs> so that was my fault somehow. Have you, have you ever done that? Have you ever gotten in the wrong vehicle? Anybody? In fact, strangely enough, I actually did it this past week. <laughs> After knowing I was going to tell this story, I was in a parking lot. I went, there was a vehicle that looked just like mine. I walk over and I go to open it and there's this lady sitting in it like, oh, sorry. So you've done this before, right? Some of you have gotten pretty far down that road. There's nothing worse. The question I want to ask us as we begin this series today is, are you in the right vehicle? Spiritually speaking, are you in the right vehicle? None of us 
would intentionally get in a vehicle, not having any clue, not knowing where that vehicle was going to take us, not knowing where, what destination we would be at. And yet I would tell you, we make life decisions like that all the time. All the time. Here's what I know about you and about me. Our lives are in motion. We are each heading somewhere. Uh, none of us is standing still. None of us is static. One year from now, you will be in a completely different place in life than you are right now. And so the simple question I'm asking this morning is, do you like the direction that you're going in? Do you like the direction you're heading in? Are you, are you in the right vehicle taking you where you thought it was going to take you? Some examples. I read a statistic recently that last year in 2021, 72 million Americans either left their job or changed their job. That's almost one third of the American public left or changed their job in 2021. Now, here's the thing, changing your job, leaving your job, that, that's not a bad thing. But, but my question is, did that take you where you thought it was going to take you? Did it, did it fix what you thought it was going to fix? Was that the right vehicle to get you where you were hoping to go? Uh, a word I'm hearing all the time lately, it's over and over again, I hear it come up in conversation, is the word deconstruction. The, all, I keep having conversations with people who, who say, you know, I, I'm deconstructing my faith right now. I haven't been in church in a while because I, I'm deconstructing my faith. Or so-and-so, did you hear that they're deconstructing their faith? And, and here's what I would say. Deconstruction isn't necessarily a bad thing. In fact, I would say any spiritual journey probably begins at some level with some form of deconstruction. But the question, uh, you know, deconstruction isn't bad as long as it leads toward reconstruction of a vibrant, real faith. The question I'm asking you this morning is, is that the vehicle you're in? Is that where this deconstruction journey is taking you? Is it taking you toward a reconstructed, vibrant, and real faith? All of us know that, you know, sinful behaviors and sinful addictions are the wrong vehicle, Right? We, we know things like alcohol and pornography, you know, if we, if we become addicted to those things, that's not, not, those are never going to lead us in a good direction. We know those are the wrong vehicle. But for some of us, we don't even recognize that maybe what we've gotten in the vehicle of doing is trying to be good in our own power, and our own ability. We're, we're trying to, by our own merit, just be, live this perfect life. And that just leaves us broken too. That's not the right vehicle. It leaves us worn down and weary and exhausted some of us have gotten in the wrong vehicle of a political leader or a religious leader. If your faith is defined by who's leading this country, or if maybe over the last couple of years you've put your faith in a religious leader, so many we've seen fall in, this, uh, in the Christian community, haven't we, over the last couple of years? You know, that's the wrong vehicle. No human being can live up to that kind of faith and hope that we put in them. Are you in the wrong vehicle? That's the question I'm asking today. This series is all about coming to a point of admitting it isn't working. It isn't working. The beginning point of this entire series, this entire journey of, of drawing close to God and making space for him begins with saying, the things I've tried to, to do to fix myself, the things I put energy into, it isn't working the vehicles I've gotten in, thinking I was going in this direction, have actually taken me over here. It isn't working. It's, and it's getting real and admitting how exhausted and burned out we are, especially after the last couple of years, how weary, how weary we are. The good news this morning that I want to point us to 
is that that's exactly where the Israelites were too. They were exhausted. They were weary. We're going to intersect their story with the Exodus story. Uh, That's where we're going to be for the next uh, few weeks together is looking at the Exodus story. The Israelites, after being slaves for 400 years in Egypt, they finally, they're weary and exhausted. They are rescued by God's hand, but then they find themselves in another difficult situation. They're wandering in the wilderness and they're, they're asking themselves the question, are we going in the right direction? Are we in the right vehicle? Are things heading the, the, the way that they should be heading? Things don't seem to be getting better. And so in Exodus chapter 32, you have this climactic moment. I would just call it a, a major climactic moment in the story of God's people. And what happens is Moses, the leader of the people, goes up on the mountain to meet with God, to encounter God face to face. But the problem is Moses hasn't led the people to know how to seek God himself, themselves. So the spiritual leader is seeking God, but the people of God are not seeking God themselves. And I would tell you, I think we're in a similar time today. And so Moses is up there. It's this climactic moment where the the Ten Commandments are given. The law of Moses is being granted. And yet what's happening down on the ground is the people have gotten in the wrong vehicle They've created this golden calf. It's this relic from their past, and they, are, they begin to worship it, getting in the wrong vehicle, hoping that this is going to take them somewhere good. And then it's, it's this tr- sad, tragic story. 3,000 of them are lost on that day, much like kind of like a 9-11 for us. You have this national tragedy that happens, and people are just broken by it. And so if Exodus 32 is a climactic moment in the story of Israel, Exodus 33, I would call it a turning point. There's this dramatic turning point right on the heels of that event. What happens is God's people begin to seek him again. Not just the leader. Not just the older generation. Not just those who, you know, have it all figured out. The people begin to seek God together. This is Exodus 33, verse 7. This one verse says so much about the moment that they were in. It says, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Now, why is that so significant? Why is that such a significant statement? It's because this tent of meeting, Moses puts this tent of meeting outside the camp. It becomes this place where the people of God, it's not just Moses, the people of God began to go to the tent. They began to seek the Lord. They began to to go to try to be in his presence. And, And what happens is eventually, if you follow the story of Israel, this tent of meeting outside the camp eventually becomes the fully mobile and constructed tabernacle of Exodus chapter 40. And what it says is that a cloud would fall on this tabernacle to lead the people by day. And then this pillar of fire uh, would be on it by night and God would lead his people. And, And so what happens is the tabernacle becomes the correct vehicle. The tabernacle is the vehicle for God's people to seek him and to be led by him. This is a kind of a replica that someone built of the tabernacle of what it, what it would have looked like set up in the wilderness in case the replica in the room wasn't enough for you. It's the vehicle, the correct way God made available for his people to be able to seek him, to be able to be led by him, and to be able to know him. The tabernacle was God's plan for them. So here's all I want to do in the next few minutes, this first week we have together in this series. I just want to answer two questions. Who is the tabernacle made for? And the second question is, why a tabernacle? 
Why a tabernacle? Why not some other form? So the first one, who was the tabernacle created for? The question we're tempted to answer that that with is, uh, we're tempted to say, well, the tabernacle, obviously it was made for God, right? God's people are out in the wilderness. They're making a tabernacle. Who are they making it for? Obviously, they made it for God. And if that's your answer to that question, you would be dead wrong. Because what the, the passage we just read tells us is that the tabernacle was made for people. The tabernacle was created for people, but not just any people. The tabernacle was created for anyone inquiring of the Lord. That's who it was made for. Anyone inquiring of the Lord. I want to know today, is anyone inquiring of the Lord? I want to know, is anyone still inquiring of the Lord today? What's amazing to me about this uh, story that we're in is that the prerequisite for God's presence arriving in our lives is not a perfect prayer life, although it's important to have a, a good prayer life. The prerequisite for God's presence arriving in our lives is not a spotless record, doing everything right, being perfect. It's not having great theological training and a degree and knowing the Bible inside and out. The prerequisite for God's presence arriving in our lives is an awareness of our deep need for him. Who is the tabernacle created for? It was created for anyone inquiring of the Lord, anyone who would be willing to say it isn't working the vehicles I've gotten in, the places I've tried to go, it didn't take me in the direction I had hoped. And I am turning to God. I need him. I need him. That's who the tabernacle was created for. Are you inquiring of the Lord? Or are you inquiring from TikTok or Instagram, a political leader, our culture, a friend, a spouse even, their faith, a parent? Or are you coming to a place personally, not just the leaders, but all of us as a people, are you coming to a place of you're saying, I'm inquiring of the Lord? Jesus, it's interesting, when you get into the Gospels, Jesus makes a similar invitation. Matthew 11, starting in verse 28, it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. We've looked at it so many times here at Frontline Together. But Jesus invites us in this way. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What's amazing to me about that passage is, it's basically saying you can't come to Jesus until you first admit that you are weary and burdened. (laughs) Admitting that you're weary and burdened is the first step to moving toward Jesus and finding rest. If you can't come to a place of acknowledging, I'm weary and burdened, it isn't working, and I need him, you won't come to him and you won't find rest. Are you inquiring of the Lord? Is that where you're at today? Or are you still just getting in the same old vehicle hoping it's going to take you somewhere different? I don't know why this is, but my wife somehow can always spot when I get in uh, the wrong vehicle. There's a, it's kind of like a recurring pattern for me. It's like this cycle I get into. And uh, last week, she literally came to me and she just said, you are being so critical and so condemning of me and the boys of our four boys and her. She just says, it's like you're just focusing all, the, all these negative things. You're finding what's wrong with each one of us. And you're, all, that's all you're focusing on is what's wrong with us. And you're, con, you're just condemning us. You're criticizing us all the time. I don't know why she always notices that before I did. But when she pointed out to me, I literally just stopped and I went, yeah, 
you're right. She's right. That's exactly what, I, what I've been doing. And so what I've come to realize over uh, the years, as I keep falling into this pattern, I don't know why. It took me years to kind of, you know, realize this. But here's what's going on. Whenever I fall into one of those patterns, whenever I get into one of those places mentally, what's really going on inside of me is that my own internal dialogue is very self-critical. My inner voice is very self-critical and very self-condemning of me. I'm constantly judging myself. I mean, why didn't you do that better? Why didn't you do that right? Was that, was that your best effort? You messed that up too. And I, I constantly condemn and criticize myself. That's where my thoughts constantly slide. That's where they move. And so what happens is the lie that I believe is that, well, that's only affecting me. It's only happening to me. It's not, I'm not hurting anyone else. But the truth of the matter is if I let myself continue to go down in that vehicle and continue to go where it takes me, eventually I start to visit that, those thoughts on my family, that my family is always the ones who get it first. That condemning critical nature starts to come out to them. And then eventually it's the staff here at Frontline. It's my friends. It's my family. And it just begins to infect every relationship in my life. And so I am making space today. I am inquiring of the Lord. God, I need you to change my thoughts, my critical spirit, my negative, constant negative thoughts, and the way that I I cast that upon anybody else. Is there anybody else who can relate at all? Are you inquiring of the Lord? Who is the tabernacle made for? It's made for people. People who come to the end, who are weary and burdened, who would come to the end of themselves and are willing to admit it isn't working. What I've tried to do to fix myself, I'm inquiring of the Lord. Why a tabernacle? Why a tabernacle? Why not something else? You know what the Israelites should have built? Based on their history, based on where they were in the world and the times that they lived in, what Israel should have built was a ziggurat. That's what they should have built. What's a ziggurat? A, z- a ziggurat was an ancient uh, te- a temple that people would build in ancient times. It was actually kind of like a stairway to heaven. And you find it in other places in the Bible. If you're familiar with the story of the Tower of Babel early on in the story of Genesis, it was a ziggurat. That's what it was. So ancient peoples, particularly in Mesopotamia, what they believed is that they believed that if they built this uh, this tower, this pointed object, and, and you could climb up to the top of that tower. You would, by your own effort, you would climb all the way to this top, take the stairs all the way up, and then the God, the deity that you were worshiping, would meet with you there at the top. That's what they believed. And in fact, Israel, they had been for 400 years in Egypt, and they had been surrounded constantly by this idea. These were the Egyptian ziggurats, the pyramids were a form of ancient ziggurat. And so the idea was that, you know, the, the people who were dead, who were buried, their souls would climb to the very, very top of the pyramid and that's where they would meet with the deity. That's where they would meet with their God. This is another example. This is uh, the ziggurat of Ur. Still stands today. This is in modern day Iraq. Ancient peoples built these stairways to heaven. And that was the message. Climb to the top. Make it all the way up the ladder and then God will meet with you. Israel should have built one of these. They should have built a tower. That's what they had been exposed to. That's what they knew. That's what they had seen. And they make a tent. They make a tabernacle. Why? Why in the world did they make something so dramatically different than what they had always seen and what they'd been exposed to? Exodus 29 verse 4 
verse 44, sorry, gives us the answer to that. This is God speaking to Moses, and God says this. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Why is that so significant? Why, why does that matter so much to the story that we're looking at? It's because the message God wanted his people to understand was that he wanted to dwell among them. The message was not climb to the top of this ladder, ascend the staircase by your own effort, by your own ability, by your own good works, and then maybe you'll be good enough for me to meet with you. It was God literally saying, I want to dwell with you. I want to be with you in the messiness of your life. And all your failures in the midst of the places where it isn't working and you're weary and you're exhausted, I want to dwell with you. I want to be your God. And if you follow the story of the tabernacle in the Old Testament, it's amazing. It begins with this tent of meeting that Moses places outside the camp. And, and, and for the first time, the people of God begin to seek God themselves. They begin to go to the tent. And by Numbers chapter 2, what happens is now, whenever Israel moves, the tabernacle is set up in the middle of the camp. Kind of like how we're set up this morning, kind of in, in the round. They would literally put the tabernacle in the center of camp, and they would literally camp all around the tabernacle with it in the middle. Because the message was, God has come to dwell among us. His presence guiding us. It's the center of our lives, the center of our being. God wants to dwell with you. He wants to be with you in the midst of everything that you face in life. The message that God has for his people is you have access to me. You have access to me. You don't have to do something to go up to the top of this hill. You have access to me. Here's why that matters so much. It matters because the tabernacle didn't just serve the purposes of the, the generation that it was built for and the time that it lived in. The tabernacle actually pointed to one who would come to tabernacle among us and dwell among us. It pointed ultimately to the person of Jesus who came to dwell with us as a human being, to live among us, to live a perfect, sinless life on our behalf, and then to offer himself in a sacrificial death for us on the cross. Next week, we're going to talk more about what was actually in the tabernacle and how it, pointed, how it points to the person of Jesus. But for our purposes today, as, as we just kind of begin this whole thing today on Welcome Home Sunday, I'll just, this is where I want to kind of focus us. The problem for us today, who would actually say, I'm inquiring of the Lord, what I'm doing isn't working, and I need help, I need God the problem for us today is we do not understand the access that we have to the Father through Jesus. We don't understand it. We don't get it. We don't understand the access that we've actually been given to the Father. But what Hebrews 4.16 says is we don't have a tabernacle anymore. The reason why we still don't have a tabernacle today is because Jesus came as the ultimate fulfillment of the tabernacle. And it says that because of Jesus, Hebrews 4.16, we can now come directly before the throne of God and we can find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. Are you inquiring of the Lord? There's good news for you today. 
you have access like you would not believe. Why don't we have what we need? Why are we weary? Why are we burdened? It's because he is our last resort, not the first place we turn to. We don't believe we have access. Maybe it's because our sins are like, man, God could never forgive me. He must be just disgusted with me. Or maybe I'm just not one of those people that's super spiritual and God doesn't meet with people like me. He doesn't answer prayers for me. We don't believe that we have the kind of access we do. God, the message of the tabernacle is God wants to dwell with you. He wants to be with you every day, every single need that you have. One of the framing stories of my life, and I've shared this before with you in different ways, is that um, one of the, the greatest shapers of my life spiritually and in, just in my life was my dad. From my, my high school years on, my dad was such an important figure in my life. But in, in the early years of my life, the form, my formative years, my dad was not around much. He actually had a, a job that took him traveling all the time. He was constantly out on the road. And uh, it, it began to really impact our family. Our family at one point was really falling apart, was really not doing well. And so I have this memory of being a kid. I remember how much I wanted to see my dad. And I, I, remember, like, I remember watching the door, like the front door of our, of our house. Like I, I knew my dad was coming home soon. I knew he was on the road. And so I, I remember just watching the front door, watching the front door. I couldn't wait for my dad to get home. And finally, my dad would come home. And what I remember about that time was he would be so tired from the trip, from the work he'd been doing, from, from traveling, and also probably not uh, you know, ready to engage with a bunch of loud, screaming kids. He would literally just kind of go straight from the door. He would make a beeline right to this back room of our house, and he would shut the door. And I remember how badly I wanted in that room. Here's the thing. I knew my dad loved me. I don't ever remember questioning my entire life whether or not my dad loved me. I knew my dad loved me. But what I needed, what I wanted during that time of my life was access to him. That's what I needed. Why do I say that? So many of you, you don't question whether or not God loves you. It's no revelation today to tell you that God loves you and has a plan for your life. You know that. You, you know it. What you question is whether or not you have access to him. Whether or not he'll actually make himself available to you. And so we don't understand this access that we have. My boys, my four boys, they have incredible access to me. One of them sitting right here on the front row. He knows it. Here's the thing about it. My boys have access to me in ways that other people just don't. If you came to my house at midnight and knocked on my front door and asked me for a drink of water, I would tell you to get off my porch or I'm going to call the police. And I love you. But if one of my boys in the middle of the night, when they were little, if they would come and they would wake me up at midnight and say, Dad, I need a drink of water, of course you can have a drink of water. You've got it. Because they have access to me. What, what does the gospel tell us? It tells us, behold, what manner of love the Father has given to us that we could be called children of God. 
That's that's what we are through Jesus. We are children. We are sons and daughters of God. That's the kind of access you have. That's the kind of availability he wants to offer you. He wants to be your first place you run to, not your last resort. He wants to be the place you come when you're weary and heavy laden, when everything else isn't working, when everything else falls apart, and, and when you acknowledge, I need God. I'm inquiring of the Lord. So the question I want to ask you as we end today is what will you do with the access you have? What will you do this fall, this year, with the access that you have? Here's, here's what I'm supposed to do right now at this point in the sermon. What I'm supposed to do right now at this point in the sermon is I'm supposed to tell you about all the small groups that we have that are starting up here this fall. Our, our staff, and this is true, our staff has worked really, really hard. We've raised up some new leaders. We've got some great new small groups. You don't have to do this Christian life alone. You are only as alone as you choose to be in following Christ. We'd love for you to get involved in a small group. I'm supposed to tell you about that. Our, our pastor of connections, Pastor Cody, he does a great job. Our newcomer's meal is coming up. It's a great way to get connected and hear more about the church and take a next step in getting connected. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm supposed to tell you about this devotional that we have, that we made available. Jeremy Grinnell and others on our staff worked really hard to make these. There's, there's, uh, these are online as well if you're watching online today. And you can grab these. You can follow along with us during the series. There's devotional readings every single day. Now Jen is starting up tonight. Our students, if you are a student or if you have a student, it'd be a great opportunity to take advantage of that opportunity and grow and get connected. But here's, here's what I've learned after 21 years of being a pastor. Maybe I'm just getting old and grumpy. I don't know, but... Here's what I've learned. Every single fall when we give this kind of an invitation, when we, we tell everybody, hey, get connected, make this year different than last year, take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of you. Here's what I know. Some of you are going to take the advantage of those opportunities and you are going to go in a direction that you could never imagine. God has a direction for your life. He, he, wants, to, he wants you to get in the vehicle and he wants to take you where his plans for you lie. So the only, the, those of you who will do that, are the ones who have come to a place in your life. You've settled that issue internally in your heart. You know it isn't working. Where I've tried to go on my own strength, it isn't working. I've gotten in the wrong vehicle. And I am inquiring of the Lord. I need Jesus. I need God to guide me and direct me. Those of you who have settled that issue in your heart, those are the ones of you who will take advantage of the access you've been given. A whole bunch of the rest of you, you're just going to live the same year you lived last year, the year before, the year before, the year before. And so, what are you going to do with the access you've been given? The choice is yours. I can't make the choice for you. The people of God have to seek God. And I'm praying that this will be a season, this will be a time for us as a church and for us as, as a Christian community, that we as the people of God begin to seek him afresh, that we begin to come to him weary and heavy laden and believe that the access we've been given is going to lead to peace and rest and victory in our lives. Do you believe in that? Are you with me? So let's pray. Let's, let's bow right now and just ask God. Jesus, we come before you right now and we just recognize that we don't have to stay in the same vehicle we're in. You have granted us access to you by your blood, Jesus, on the cross. We don't have a tabernacle anymore because you were the perfect tabernacle. You came and dwelt among us. And so this morning, we just come to you and we just recognize, God, we need you. 
the unconverted places of our lives, the places where we've tried on our own strength and we're failing, the places where we're weary and burdened, we just invite you in and we say, God, we need you. We need you. In our families, God, in our church, in our community, we need you. Would you come? Would you move? We look to you right now. We're inquiring of you this morning. In Jesus' name, everyone said. We hope this message encouraged you in seeing who God is and who you are in Him. If you want to take a next step, visit frontlinegr.com forward slash connect. We look forward to connecting with you there and we'll see you back here next week.